You're listening to the Rubbish Trip Podcast. Two no-waste nomads talk trash with people in Aotearoa, New Zealand. It's a truism that children are the future, but in the present era of ecological collapse, the pressure on the next generation to revolutionise how humans live on Earth is huge. Equipping them for this task is not easy either. Our guest today, Leslie Otti, is not one to shy away from a challenge. Through her business, EcoEducate, every day she creates and promotes environmentally motivated rethink behaviours in over 130 schools and preschools across the Waimakariri and Ashburton districts in Canterbury. Though Leslie is a waste educator, she also brings with her a strong practice of community engagement and a deep knowledge of old ways of doing things, from knitting, sewing, foraging, through to gardening. She's helped to set up community gardens, runs waste-free events, regularly appears on local radio, and for two years she ran a toy rescue operation where she diverted over 9,000 stuffed toys from landfill. Leslie's become quite the public figure in North Canterbury, and she's a force to be reckoned with. In 2018, EcoEducate took out the Environmental Step Change Award in the North Canterbury Business Awards, and was also a finalist for the People's Choice Award. In this wide-ranging interview, we talk with Leslie about the work that she does. We focus on why she loves doing environmentally oriented behaviour change with children specifically, why she is hopeful about the future when these kids take on the helm, and her approach to naysayers and litterers in the community at large. We also chat to her about techniques for navigating the boundary between her public and private life and making sure her dedication to community-level waste minimization doesn't lead to burnout. We started off by asking Leslie what it is that motivates her to do her eco-educate work. The opportunity to help and support other people make a change. And also I consider it an absolute privilege to be able to work with the future, all those kids and those students. And I get an immense amount of satisfaction out of seeing the little changes they make when they skip up and say they took their own bags to the supermarket or they made sure mum took a reusable coffee cup when she went to sport or we don't have a rubbish bin liner anymore. It's those little comments from people who've made a change and are so proud of what they've done and then are looking for the next step. I just think that's amazing. Yeah. And to be part of that journey and sowing seeds of rethinking because not everybody takes them on board and you sometimes just don't know mm. what happens mm. out there after you've left. For sure. So cool. And you, mm. so you spend most of your time doing waste reduction, minimisation education with children in schools. Mm-hmm. Was that a conscious decision? Do you prefer working with young people? Or? Um... I think I do prefer working with young people. I do find some of the adults I work with exceptionally challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we know them, the folded armed Burn and Berry Brigade and Why Should I Change and the planet's stuffed, so what's the point? Mm. Yeah. Although they don't yeah. quite use the stuffed word. <coughs> um, yeah, yeah. But we have to change. And I still believe there is hope. And mm. when I listen to people like Dr. Jane Goodall, and Sir David Attenborough, who are wiser than me, and they believe there's hope. Mm. We just have to do it. Mm. We don't have a choice. There is no planet B, and it just seems irresponsible not to change. But having said that, I think you also need to make the changes that you're comfortable with and that work 
take the easy stuff. That's your line. Mm. Pick the low-hanging fruit. Mm. And don't beat yourself up about sometimes the big picture because my role is quite depressing. Mm. I have my role because we have a problem. Mm. 50 years ago, waste educators didn't exist. I've kind of failed because I've had to take on two staff because the role has increased incredibly. Mm. But it's also got many opportunities in it. Who knows, when I work in schools, I might be talking to the next environmental minister or prime minister or policy maker or the entrepreneur who goes on to solve or redesign. I certainly hope I'm talking to some redesigners yep. of the future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we need some of them, eh? <laughs> yeah. And the rethinkers and just making it as normal as putting on a seatbelt in a car, because yeah. I can remember when we didn't, mm. and we didn't wear bike helmets, and that was one woman who changed that. Mm. I'm not saying I'm that one woman that's gonna mm. change everything, because there's so many of us out there now, mm. but the changes I've seen just in the last 10 years, mm. the fact that we can even sit down and have this conversation, mm. the fact that I can put the media on today and there will be some post somewhere about something that's happening, mm. whether it be whales consuming plastic or turtles with straws up their noses, there will be changes. The people going into the supermarket with their own shopping bags. Mm. Gosh, two years ago, you didn't really see that. So those sorts of things coming through give me a lot of hope, mm. and it's all those little pieces clicking together to make that jigsaw puzzle picture of the future. Mm. What do we want? What do we want the picture to be look like? Mm. So yes, I do enjoy working with the students. We do have some laughs along the way. You have to. But yeah, overall, yeah, they are the future. And some days the future looks incredibly bright. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about young people, do you think, that makes them so much more responsive? Um, it's interesting because when they're in that sort of four to about 10, 11 bracket, they're still asking questions. Um, they tend to go a bit silent in their teenage years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, sometimes, you know, you wonder, no, you actually don't want to wonder what's going on in the brain. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're busy brains in their teenage years. So those younger years of those habit formings, and they're learning so much in those early years, and they're almost hungry for information. Mm. So being able to put some of that information in, and let, I don't tell people what to do. I like them to come up with their own solutions and ideas and be asking questions little bit harder in a high school situation but they sort of come out the other end and they are normal people around about 20 yeah <laughs> um, and so you just hope that some of those things you've instilled early continue to be lifelong habits yeah, or germinate later yes well seeds mm. sometimes take seven years to germinate yeah. the seeds they found in the pyramids that they've managed to germinate I'm hoping these well. ideas aren't taking that long yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a, a bit quicker than that but it's very easy to get hung up on all the negatives yeah and I think we need to look at the positives and I'm not one of those people who is the glass is half full or mm. half empty as far as I'm concerned the glass is refillable and it should be reusable <laughs> yeah yeah um, awesome and it's just what you choose to fill it with yeah I just I love being able if, if I won lotto tomorrow mm. which is highly unlikely because mm. I never buy a ticket yeah. <laughs> I would still get out of bed and do what I do yeah because great. I love it yeah, yeah. Um, cool 
and I finally found my niche mm. and my passion. And, and this comes from somebody who was not cool at school, really didn't like school, mm. now spends all their time in them. Mm. So it's something ironic about that. I've got this big fan club, which I sometimes find quite overwhelming <laughs> yeah. because I wasn't that person at school. Yeah. I was the person who was trying to go under the radar and mm. now I've got this kind of fame factor that yeah. mm. doesn't actually sit that comfortably. Hence the hat. It means I'm working. I'm even wearing it during the podcast. Yes, you can't, you can't see it, but you do have the hat. Yeah, and we'll have you. a lovely photo of the hat. Uh, yeah, what's the story behind the hat that you wear? Oh, the hat. So many years ago, before I got the waste educator role, my little business was helping a school set up a school garden. And I have a beautiful flax hat, a harakiki hat, that has a collection of badges on it. Not quite as outlandish as this current one. <laughs> and I would wear it when I was gardening, because I'm outside, and so yeah. I would wear his hat. <laughs> and the children at Fernside School pretty quickly worked out if the hat was on, Leslie was working and she was doing gardening. And then when I got the waste educator role and I walked back into that school, I didn't have my gardening hat on. And they questioned it and they said, mm. where's your hat? And I said, but I'm talking about recycling and rubbish. <sighs> well, you need a recycling hat. Mm. And lo and behold, next time I went in, they'd made me some decorations for a hat that I didn't actually have yet. Oh. <laughs> so I went to the Salvation Army, picked up a secondhand hat. The hats will always be straw because then when they fall apart, they can be fed to the worm farm. This is hat number three now. Mm-hmm. I do wear them out. And the hat has just become part of the role. Yeah. Don't analyse it because we, we all dress for work. You know, yeah. we put on a uniform, some of us put on heels and makeup. Is that you, Liam? <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely. Sorry, you didn't know about <laughs> So we all dress for a role, and mine is about the hat. And the hat is on, I'm working. Mm. It often comes with gumboots because they're practical for work and they've got mm. flowers painted on the side. Yeah. Or I have flowery footwear. Today's is my pink steel cap boots. <laughs> just as a sense of fun. It also disconcerts people. Put the hat on and they're like, what the? And then you're into it. And it makes people smile. I think it's a sad day if you can't do that. Yeah. And a few years ago now, I talked at Wasteman's and I was really, really nervous. Mm. And I got up and I had my little props with me and I had my hat beside me. And I started, and I suddenly realised I didn't have the hat on. So I oh. whacked the hat on, and then I was away. And people mm. commented afterwards that once the hat had gone on, the whole performance changed. So it just doesn't go well if the hat's not there. It also means if my hat's on, really happy to talk rubbish recycling, compost, bakashi, worms, water, and looking after the place. Mm. Hats off, leave me alone. Mm. Because otherwise it gets very hard to do your shopping. Yes. And <laughs> it's that line of being a public figure mm. but trying to have a private life. And I'm quite strict about it. Kids are really good. The adults yeah. aren't so respectful of it. Mm. But they just get handed a business card and told to email me. But I have had to walk out of places where, you know, I've said I'm not working. Yeah. Oh, but I just need to talk to you about mm. but I'm not working. Mm. And I've actually had to leave places because they didn't hear the, no, I'm not working. I think a lot of people who are on the front line of waste education and zero waste advocacy, because a lot of our day-to-day life choices produce waste, and these are the things that we have to change, a lot of us, Liam and I included, we open our private lives up to scrutiny, Mm. you know, right down to what reusable menstrual products you might use, contraception choices, all this stuff. And it is really hard to keep that public-private balance. You You become public property. And I guess this wasn't something I was anticipating with the role, Mm. and it's something I struggle with the most. Mm. So being public property and also this 
Oh, almost belief that you're available 24-7. Yeah, well, and that is also social media as well, yeah. isn't it? Like, um, that so, you know, my phone goes off at, in the evening. Mm. That's it. And mm. so does the computer. Mm. You can leave me a message, you know. The people who need my kidney know where to find me. Yeah. And rubbish can wait. Yeah. So... It's hard though, isn't it? Because it's it like we feel hard. so passionate about these issues. Mm. And I think that's why a lot of people get burnout in the social and environmental sector because they want to be available all the time and yeah. don't recognise the danger of burnout. I've learnt that I need that time away from people. I'm yeah. not a natural extrovert. I need to be away from people. I find them quite draining. So my garden is my sanctuary. Nobody gets invited into my garden. I need that space. Yeah. Beaches and rivers are definitely my recharge. Anybody who disturbs me there is likely to get a short, sharp shift. <laughs> but I think when it really came to a head was we went to Auckland and with the family and we had this lovely trip and I said to my daughter, I think she might have been about 14, and I said, what was the best bit about going around the North Island? You mm. know, I was expecting it to be White Island or mm. oh, Falcons at Wingspan or Zorbing in Rotorua and she said, the fact that nobody knew who you were, <laughs> you were just my mother. Oh, yeah, right, wow. yeah. get it. Yeah. And you know, the waste industry, for all I love working in it, I can't afford a housekeeper in a private island, so I still have to do my own shopping and that sort of stuff. So they always say to the children, a little wave and a smile is absolutely fine, but if the hat's not on, leave me alone. Yeah, mm. you know, cool. I will respect you so much more for that. And teachers understand this, mm. and I work in 130 schools and preschools, so yeah. times yours by that number. Yeah. And I just think this place is that, it's almost that social behaviour of, you do not need to acknowledge people when they're in the hospital with the gown that doesn't do up at the back. Yeah, no. yeah, 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 yeah. Just ignore them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I've had that happen. Yeah. And I was just thinking, oh my goodness, is there no yeah. peace anywhere? But having said that, I will exploit the fame factor to the full extent when the hat is <laughs> on. Exactly, yeah. If that gets the message out. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's what the hat's about, and yeah. it's kind of become what kids expect it now, and yeah. the teachers expect it. And I wear it when I talk on radio, yeah. podcasting. Yeah. I've done some film interviews just recently, and I said the hat's non negotiable, it has to be on. Yeah. Mm. They didn't like it because it doesn't do good things for the light on your face. Well, yeah. no, mm. the hat stays on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I do have different hats as well. I have yeah. a surf life-saving hat, quite literally. Yeah. I used to run badminton, so I had a badminton hat. Yeah. And my husband, a few years ago, said, I need to stop getting hats because yeah. when I die, there won't be enough room on top of my coffin. <laughs> and I thought, that's an interesting line of thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> that waste thing again though, isn't it? Like every purchasing decision, where's it going to go? Yeah. So no, the hats are always second hand and they're always straw so they can be composted. A lot of people will come up to us at the end of our talks and say, do you go into schools? We really think you should go into schools. Schools are, you know, children get it and blah, 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 blah. And then they take the message home to their parents and blah, 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 blah. And we always found that quite an interesting presumption because we find schools sometimes quite a challenging environment. You don't know what kind of messaging the children are actually going to take back home and if that message is going to be delivered in a compassionate way or not. And then you've got this children don't have decision-making power You know, when it comes to groceries and so on. And children, we find, are often very susceptible to advertising and marketing, just like adults sometimes. Yeah, also. well, they might go home and they're the only ones 
they feel like they're the only ones fighting that battle and, and it can be really disheartening. Yeah, it's a lot for well. a small person to take, you know, or like if you show photos of animals affected by plastic pollution, that can be quite distressing for children. So actually, like we find it quite challenging. So do you face any of those issues or have you thought about some of those things and worked through them? Yes, and they tell me this. So when I work with rural children and we talk about disposable farm waste, the burn yeah. and bury pile, I will say to them, look, I know you don't own the farm, yeah, but one day you might, mm. and you might make different decisions. Perhaps you could help by setting up some bags in the back of the woodshed, old feed sacks, and start some recycling, do some labels, tell your family what you're doing, and then say, hey, when we go into town to go to the library or the pool, we could take this with us and drop it off at the transfer station. So just a little bit of problem solving, empowering young people is really important because they don't need to be 18 to make a difference yeah mm. and that's why the strike for climate change was just wow mm. oh my goodness yeah 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 Greta wow yeah. <laughs> my new hero yeah. yeah there's lots of them coming through and so making different choices you know making sure the reusable coffee cup goes in the car so when we go to sport mum you can still have your coffee, but we don't need a disposable cup. Mm. Putting the reusable bags back in the car. I always say to parents, if they don't, kids don't put the bags in, you hold the wallet and the car keys, you've got the power, you don't mm. go shopping. Mm. So, mm. And they're quite motivated by food, most children. Yeah. So those little things. Sometimes, you know, children, when we do rubbish-free lunches and give them some ideas around that, I'll often say to the class of kids, so who makes your lunch? And so many children are not making their own lunches. And then I tell them the story about the 16-year-old we met who didn't know how to make a sandwich. Mm. And they laugh. Mm. And I go, hey, if you're not making your own lunch, you could be that 16-year-old. Mm. So just making simple mm. little changes and looking at things they can do. Mm. Not relying on their teacher to set up a waste station in class why don't you problem solve it and come up with a solution? Why don't you do a presentation to your board of trustees? Why don't you do a PowerPoint or something for assembly? Just getting them to do little things that might change. And I know it works because I've been stood places and the children have said, ah, oh, this is Leslie, she comes to our school and the parent will go, oh, you're Leslie. Mm. Oh, you're the reason that we now have to take our recycling mm -hmm. down to the transfer station. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think there were other reasons, <laughs> but getting them to start asking questions and thinking and not being sucked in by the advertising dollar. Because that's a big thing. I feel that's like that's huge. A, like, I think there's this a little bit of naivety around like children are very romanticized, I think, and this idea that they're not affected by marketing or that they aren't at the supermarket nagging their parents to buy these packaged items. How do you get cut through to the children about the impact of those purchasing decisions? Just chatting to them and yeah. I guess asking them where do you think it goes when you're finished with it. Mm. And so when we do, or beeswax wraps, so beeswax wrap you need to warm up in your hands to get it sticky, right? So I stand in front of the class scrunching up a beeswax wrap saying it just is so much better than fiddling with a fidget spinner. Mm. Or sometimes they'll see me knitting while I'm waiting for them to come into class. Mm. Some of them are gobsmacked. What are you doing? Yeah. And I'll go, well, I'm just keeping my hands busy. You guys probably use a fidget spinner, but I will have a scarf at the end of mine. So just often role modelling or demonstrating stuff going on and simple, easy solutions about where does it go. But also sometimes shocking and horrifying too with the pictures from the landfill mm. and how full it will be. I mean, mm. Cape Valley, 22 years mm. will be full. And that will be their decision as adults about where the next one goes, or mm. their argument, as the case may be. Sometimes it's even just taking their classroom rubbish bin, 
putting out a sheet of newspaper and tipping it up on the newspaper and what is in here that could have been reduced. I use a lot of visuals mm. in my sessions. So we have a sort the bag session, which is a black rubbish bag of sanitised waste because I have to travel with it. Mm. So the nappy has not been used. Mm. <laughs> it's amazing how many children feel the need to open it up to check. I'm <laughs> going to put a smear of Marmite on it. I <laughs> with a little note of haha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. And basically they have to sort it into waste recycling. And then with older children, we'll look at those piles and go, okay, so the disposable coffee cup went to landfill. How could we make sure it didn't even go to landfill in the first place? And looking at reusable options or reducing or rethinking or repairing options so that we can really bring the waste pile down. And the same with the recycling, looking at that and going, okay, so we've got a plastic water bottle. What would have been an option rather than a single use? depends on the class of children and it depends on the relationship I've got with them. Mm. So it's not something I'd stretch them with on the very first session of meeting them. I don't do a waste audit when I first land in a school because mm. it terrifies teachers. <laughs> and, and boards of trustees get a bit frightened about it as yeah. well. Mm. And yeah. you probably don't get invited back. Mm. So I tend to ease in gently. I think the best comment I ever got was I got into a school that had been a bit, <clears throat> not sure if we want you, not sure if we need you, mm. and I'm free, have me. Yeah. <laughs> Give me half an hour. So they gave me half an hour and the teacher came and sat beside me and she said, I'm very surprised. Why? Well, you're quite normal, aren't you? <laughs> so I wasn't sure what they were expecting. So that this has become more normal and just yeah. what we yeah. do I think is part of the change that's yeah. happening. It's not weird and tree-hugging and happy anymore. No. Yeah. It's just yeah. what we do. Yeah. 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 And you've been doing this for a long time now, so you must, well, well several years. So Eco-Educate's been running for 10 years. Having said that, at the age of uh, 50-something, I probably had early training. Mm. Dad's a builder. There wasn't a lot of money when we were growing up. Our entire batch was furnished from the ferry me tip. We always mm -hmm. went home with more than we took down. Mm. Things were repaired. It took me a while to work out that my bike had also been my sister's bike times two. Mm. It was just a different colour every time it went down a sibling. Yeah, right. <laughs> it did take me a while to work that out. We had Sunday afternoon drives. And it took me a very long time to work out that Sunday afternoon drives had a seasonal timetable <gasps> depending what could be foraged around the district yep. at certain times of year. Cool. So, you know, we fished at Birdlings Flats when the fish were running or mm. we were at Amberley if it was the other way around. We were always out of the Ashley Riverbed in the autumn because the blackberries were ready. Mm. We went through the Leader Valley in autumn because... All of the fruit trees down the side of the road were ready. I spent my childhood oh, rose hips. Gosh, they're prickly. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Dad didn't miss bargains. He made wine. Mm. I guess I had inspiring role models as a child, yeah. and we always had compost, and we always had chickens, and we always grew vegetables. And I just assumed everybody did it. Mm. Mm. I must be slow because it did take me a while to work out that not everybody does. Yeah. And eco educate started because a preschool teacher wanted to know if cucumbers grow underground. <laughs> and then when you keep that straight face, think, who's filming me? <laughs> or, uh, oh, no, she's real. Oh, she means, oh, okay. So, mm. education gap in the market. And it's just kind of kept on going. Mm. But, but within the time you've been running eco educate, you must have noticed that change you were talking about of things just becoming normal, you know people just starting to talk about this on a day-to-day -day basis. And totally. Yeah. Well, look at you guys. You pull mm. in crowds. 
You go mm. around the country. 15 years ago? Yeah, possibly. 20 years ago, no. Well, you're too young anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, things have changed. And people are asking questions. Mm. Like, where does this go? Why do we need this? Yeah. And, yeah, they are making changes. We've still got a long way to go. I acknowledge that. Yeah. And sometimes the big picture is totally overwhelming. Mm. So as a waste educator in this industry, there are films I don't watch. Mm. So yeah. I don't need to. I yeah. know the details and the facts, but I fully encourage anyone else to go and watch mm. them. Mm. But I tend to live this stuff, you know, at least five days a week. And I get to see the appalling statistics of what we do throw away and what we waste. Mm. Food wastage at $872 million in one year in New mm. Zealand. Mm. I've attended those waste audits. I've seen the actual factuals of the good food that didn't get eaten. And then I work in schools where kids don't get breakfast. And some days you do think, jeepers, mm. really? Mm. But then I go and reward myself by working with a class of four-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I've had a bad day, I'll go and find a preschool to work mm. in. And mm. I do have favourites. Yeah. I'm not supposed to, but I do. <laughs> up on those small changes and like the things that we can do at home one thing we find a lot is that many people focus on the big overwhelming picture and that actually filters down to them not really wanting to make personal lifestyle changes because they think it's not important or you know the thing we hear all the time is well I could do that but actually the real change the so-called real change needs to come from government and business and so on and so forth What's your view on that? Yes, they do need to have changes from government and businesses and councils, but it's all of us. We are all in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is no one quick fix. I believe consumers have an incredible amount of power. Every time you open your wallet, you vote. You vote for the future. You keep mm. buying it, they keep making it. Mm. If you don't ask questions, they just keep producing it. Mm. I think our packaging companies need to change mm. big time. Some of our small companies are doing really, really well, mm. but I'd issue the same challenge to some of our big companies. Mm. I don't understand why some of our big companies can get it so wrong. Mm. I really applaud companies that look to see where their product goes at its end of life. Yeah. I write letters, bouquets I call them, mm. of mm. businesses doing well, I mm. let them know. Mm. I'm probably on a few company dartboards. Mm. That's potentially because I unleash classes of children who are doing persuasive letter writing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they ask me for six companies to target, and I go, only six. Um, so I make no apologies to that. Yeah. And I do ring up companies, and I email them and ask them where their product's supposed to go at its end of life, because mm. I'm a waste educator, and I'd like to know, and mm. I'd like to mm. share that message with 130 schools. Mm. Some of the answers have been absolutely gobsmackingly awful. Mm. The one company who told me that Kiwis aren't interested in recycling. I had great pleasure in sharing that with schools mm. and asking for their feedback. Because I don't go in and talk at the students. I'm yeah. always trying to engage them and get them thinking and mm. problem solving and coming up with solutions and answers. And I'm always really encouraging them to go and talk to that older generation 
who did the bottling and preserving and yeah. the reusing and the repairing mm. and the minimalist living way before it became famous. Yeah. And sharing those ideas. You know, children will say to me, oh, Nana knows how to sew a button on. And I go, so Nana needs to teach you. Mm. You need to go and learn that from Nana. Mm. And then when I talk to older groups and I say, look, teach your grandchildren how to make jam. Oh, but they won't be interested. Mm. And I'll go, have you ever asked them? Mm. And I'll go, have you got a phone? And they go, oh, yes. And I say, and you know how to use it? All of it? Well, no, not really. So sit down with your grandchild. Mm, Have some jam and scones, make the jam and trade the phone skills because Mm. help each other out. It worries me that some of these lovely skills are going to go with that generation when they die. And I think they need to come back and it's that simple, easy stuff. It's it's complicated. You're not doing it right. Nobody needs to work harder. We just Mm. need to work a bit smarter. And questioning, you know... Why are we doing this? Why Why do we need a bin liner? Mm. Goodness sake. Mm. All right. Oh, here's a trick. Tip in our house, right? Bread comes in a plastic bag. It doesn't in Hannah and Liam's house. I've just seen that, right? <laughs> so in our house, it comes in a plastic bag, and occasionally there's frozen vegetables as well. Keep the bag. Use that bag to put your icky liner from your chicken wrap or whatever in. Mm. Then you didn't contaminate the bin. Mm. You just contained the ick. Mm. Right? Mm. And that bag's already coming in and you're probably already gonna have to throw it out. Mm. So utilize it. Mm. You know, we have a trick in our house, cat food tins. <coughs> don't like cleaning cat food tins mm-hmm. and I don't like cleaning crusty cat food bowls either. Mm-hmm. Mm. Two rescue cats, they're very fussy. <laughs> we have a goldfish pond. We put the empty cat food tin and the crusty cat food plate into the goldfish pond. Mm. The goldfish eat it. Whoa. They clean it, we pull it out, we give it a shake, we can send the can for recycling, we can reuse the cat food plate. Yeah. None of it went down the wastewater, and the fish get fed, and occasionally the fish get eaten by the cat. Cycle <laughs> of life. <laughs> um, <laughs> you might like that. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> so it's just that smart rethinking, yeah. you know, and yeah. stop thinking of everything as rubbish. Mm. My logo mm. is an apple core for a reason. Mm. Because it's not rubbish. Mm. It's compost. It's worm food. It's bakashi. It's hungry horse. It's chickens. It's pigs. And it could be another apple tree. Mm. So that's that big head flip behaviour change. Mm. Doesn't mean we keep everything. But I think it's about having respect for Mm. the things around us. Mm. And thinking where do they end up? And could we make better choices? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what did it take to get this item to us in the first oh, place? I know. Like respect all that energy and resource embodied in the thing that you have. Mm. And I do that with children in the school. So, one school I found twenty-three whole apples in their worm farm. Mm-hmm. Now, a worm farm doesn't need a whole apple. It's mm. quite happy with the apple core. And I took those twenty-three apples and I put cleaned them up and I put them in a bowl mm. and I took them into the assembly with me. Mm. And I also took eleven dollars in change. Mm-hmm. And I held up both. Mm-hmm. And I said, right, these apples grow on a tree. Somebody propagated and cultivated that tree. Someone looked after the soil. Somebody watered it, pruned it, picked the apple, went on a truck, probably went to a packaging place, packaged another truck, ends up at the supermarket. You use your car, you drive down there, you buy that apple, it comes home, mm-hmm. you've spent your parents' money on that apple, and you put it in the worm farm. Mm-hmm. Here's $11. Who wants to go and put it in the worm farm? Mm-hmm. It's stunned silence. Mm. So it's that 
rethinking it you know mm. and you took one bite out of it okay it went brown that's where the air kissed the apple mm. get over it mm. eat it won't be a problem mm. if you close your eyes you can't see it yeah. cut it out and you know have it for afternoon tea yeah mm. yeah the food wastage one really upsets me mm. because i just think it's just madness yeah absolute madness mm. well it's doubly painful when the stuff doesn't end up even going into a worm bin yeah into yeah. a rubbish bin which is almost 60 percent in the district yeah. you're in and i think you know We've done over 30 events for Love mm. Food Hate Waste over three years. Mm. And so we've spoken with hundreds of people, mm. if not thousands. The people who go, we don't waste food, we give it to the chickens. Mm. Well, you didn't buy it for the chickens. Mm. You know, it's like taking a $5 note out and putting it in the chook run. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so people first, mm. thinking mm. about that first. Because there's a whole pile of things chooks will eat yeah. that we won't anyway, mm. that we could be feeding them. Mm. So... I think that 872 million is actually higher. I hate to say yeah. it. Yeah, it's. A, I find it so interesting. We've gotten to this point in our society where we're so disconnected from all of those things. We well, do cucumbers grow underground, yeah, Liam? <laughs> and you know that, that you have to actually explain to people where those apples came from that whole process to get them people don't think about but that. it's not the thing is though it's like it's not their fault like it's the whole system it makes money to do it this way and so the wool has been pulled over people's eyes it might not be consciously but there's an incentive for the system to continue in this wasteful way because right now the linear economy that we have, it benefits those businesses because they're not responsible for that end of life waste. Ratepayers and councils pay for it. And in the long term, we degrade our environmental systems and then they won't be able to make the things they make. Mm. But that's like way down the track for them mm. in terms of the way they're thinking about it. It's kind of a double whammy in a way. Mm. We're becoming disconnected, but we're disconnected from this reality that's detrimentally affecting us. And we're unwittingly subsidising manufacturers and giant businesses that don't have our interests at heart. Mm. And it's if you want it, you can have it, pretty much. I can remember mm. when apples had a season. Mm. They yeah. weren't available all year round. Mm. Yeah. And we used to import them from America at Christmas time and they looked stunning. Mm. Beautiful red apples. Oh, they were flowery and disgusting. Mm. And there'll be people out there now who can taste that and go, oh. Mm. Yeah. And we would long for those new season apples. Now you can have apples all year round. Mm. So I don't think you have that same respect for them. And I remember as a child that the Marks mm. and Spencers parcels would come from the UK with huh. the new exciting clothes in that you couldn't get here. Yeah. Mm. And now you just order it online mm. and it just arrives. And if you want it, you just Google search and it's there and you can get it. Mm. Things like built an obsolescence of appliances. Mm that we don't repair anymore. So mm. I'm excited about when I hear things like, it's the EU, isn't it? Looking at making whiteware repairable. Mm. Bring it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, treasuring what we have. Mm. Doesn't necessarily need to bring you joy, but <laughs> treasuring it. And I love things that have memories to them. I'm not a total hoarder, although my family may disagree. <laughs> but they always ask me, and I usually have something useful. But the simple things like, my garden is not landscaped. It is a gardener's garden. And my garden is full of memories of friends. Mm. The seeds we picked up and planted, cuttings I took from friends who are no longer here from their gardens. 
the stuff mm. I've rescued off dump piles down at the riverbed. Please mm. don't dump your green waste in the riverbed. Mm. Although my best peonies have come from there, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yes, scavenger, scrounger, that's my father, thank you. Mm. So those things, just oh, watching the sunset and the sunrise and taking your shoes and socks off and walking through wet grass. Mm. I know, weird, strange, but it's kind of cool too. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And just taking time, I guess it's mindfulness, taking time to just sit. It's one of the things that was so interesting about a group of children. We were doing a bird survey in June, and we do them every year with schools, and this little boy sat beside me, and once we'd got over the excitement that rabbits couldn't be counted because they're not part of the bird population, <laughs> and he was just sitting, and he said, this is really nice. Aww. And I said, which bit? And he said, just sitting. Aww, that's Our family is always so busy, we never just sit. And I thought, that is so sad. Mm. That is, you know, we have this pretty amazing country, mm. but it's that looking after it. Mm. You know, it's the picking up rubbish, because mm. we can and we need to. Not relying on anyone else to do it. Make a difference. That piece of rubbish you pick up might save a whale. Mm. I used to say, uh, that piece of rubbish might save a turtle. I've never met a turtle, but I'd like to think I've saved a few. Yeah. I got to meet turtles last year at Kelly Tuff, and oh. it was pretty cool. Oh. <laughs> You know, I get a bit of a buzz out of knowing that I am making a difference. And it might not be a difference I can see right now, mm -hmm. but it will be a difference somewhere because every action has a consequence. Mm. You just have to choose whether it's going to be a good consequence mm. or a bad one mm. and then adapt your action to suit that. Mm. saying about treasuring items and also items with memories and stuff in them this makes me think of one thing that you were doing recently which struck a chord with me <laughs> now I'm very like a lot of people don't know this it's a bit weird I'm very attached to stuffed toys I said I basically like we've all seen Toy Story I feel like they have a little bit of a Secret life. A secret life, yeah. So uh, you opened my eyes last year to the reality of the amount of stuffed toys that go to oh, landfill. Wow. And so, yeah, I find this very distressing <laughs> from an environmental perspective. And also, I just love stuffed toys. I can't bear to think of them in a landfill. And so you actually started doing something about that. So would you be able to... I didn't intend to set up a toy rescue. It kind of happened. Long story short... Some children at Oxford Area School showed me they'd been taking toys, repurposing them. These were toys from the op shop that nobody would buy. So they would turn them into door stoppers and all sorts of things. And that got me thinking. I went and had to talk to the Women's Institute. Now, you can't teach those ladies anything about making jam and reusing jars, they know. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I took the toys that these um, students had repurposed. And then I got a phone call from Dev, who volunteers at our local Salvation Army, to tell me that Every week they throw out a wheelie bin of soft toys because people don't buy enough of them. And would I like them? And at this point, Hannah's pulling sad eyes. <laughs> um, and I said, yes. I need to stop saying yes. And every week my little van would pull up in front of the Salvation Army and we would pick up about 200 toys every week. Because here's the deal. If your toys turn up at the second hand shop and they are dirty, they go straight in the bin. They don't have time to wash them. Mm. They don't have time to repair them. So I would take, and every week we buy only a quarter of what they get in. So the mm. other three quarters have to go somewhere. 
because mm. otherwise they burst at the mm. seams. Mm. And so they end up going to landfill because nobody bought them. Some of those toys are brand new. One of them had the birthday card still attached. Mm. That's just our consumerism gone mad. So I'd take them home and I'd tip them up into the driveway because literally some of them were come up and vomit. Those toys would go into the puppy boxes to go to the SPCA and Dog Watch. My cat Zink would always appear at Toy Rescue Time because they smell so good. <laughs> and I can run away with the little tiny toys, <laughs> which inspired us to take the tiny toys, fill them classes of children, yes, I know, teaching them to take dried plant material and conceal it in toys, cat mint, <laughs> cat toys. Yeah, cat drugs. Um, and they would go out to cat care and places who would sell them for fundraising. We would wash, so thank you to Eco Store for providing washing powder. That was mm. a cheeky email. Um, if you don't ask, nobody can help you. Yeah. And we would wash them and dry them and relocate them. Hand-sized ones would go out in boxes to our emergency services and the police, the ambos and the fire to help distressed children. Mm. Big fluffy ones would go to dementia care homes. Baby dolls definitely go to dementia care homes. Oh, just ongoing. Um, we taught schools how to make puppets, door stoppers, use them as fundraisers. We had a school just recently that took 100 toys for their own version of Bear Pong. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And they fundraised with those toys, etc. Mm. Those toys go out with tags, with names, and why they've been rescued, mm. and encouraging people to buy more secondhand. I did stop last year because I just was starting to take over my life, and it mm. stopped being fun. Mm. And I figured after two and a half years and nine thousand toys relocated, mm. probably done my bit. Mm. But I think scary thing is that's one person in one op shop. Mm. So if you times that across New Zealand, that's phenomenal. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's not just manky toys. We've had mm. Star Wars characters. We've had yeah, there's Pokemon in the landfill. Mm. Make interesting mm. game of Pokemon Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. Everything. The only mm. ones I've really kept are my giant Winnie the Pooh and Tigger mm. because they're my passengers and my fan and they make hundreds of people smile every week. Yeah. Anything that was a Womble mm. got to stay mm. with me Yeah. because Wombles are a good sidekick for a waste educator. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and if you don't know what a Womble is, go on Google. <laughs> and then there's a few other quirky bits and pieces like Paddington and mm. Rupert that are bears of my childhood, mm. Beatrix Potter characters and Winnie the Pooh characters, so we also had a heifer lump as well. So there's a few things that yeah. have stayed, but I couldn't keep 9,000 10 No, <laughs> but I think it's quite interesting because it is this toy rescue is a window into not just waste reduction, but also our consumerism gone mad and also the dangers of this decluttering moment as well of thinking about, okay, so we declutter and we get rid of these things that we might have gotten without thinking or we've decided are worth nothing to us anymore but where do they go yep totally so no away yeah winnie the pooh might not spark joy for you anymore but where's it gonna go <laughs> well winnie the pooh would have ended up in the landfill at two dollars at the op shop nobody would buy them and yeah i got offered a hundred dollars admittedly by somebody very drunk in a pub <laughs> but winnie the pooh's not for sale because yeah. for me, he's just such a valuable teaching talk. He also goes into classes when I do the wastewater treatment talk as well, the poo yeah. talk. Yeah. They think we're going to talk about the bear. But uh. actually, no, it's the other one. Um, uh. Yeah, and he does go into classes where I know they've had a sad moment, something's happened yeah. in the school environment. Mm. 
And so Winnie the Pooh goes in and he's available for hugs for anyone who wants one. Because mm. sometimes people hugs aren't okay. A big stuffed toy is harmless and it's amazing. There's nothing like watching 18-year-old young men go up and hug Winnie the Pooh because they've had an absolutely shitty week. Um, so, yeah, and he wears a seatbelt when he travels with me and yeah. sometimes he has my hat on. <laughs> Tigger doesn't travel in the front seat very well because his tail sticks upright and he keeps falling over. So oh, Tigger. Extremely Tiggerish. Yeah. Yeah, so... Think about it, you know, yeah. does it need to be brand new? Yeah. Mm. There's probably, would you say there's enough stuffed toys in New Zealand right oh, now for everyone? Gosh, yes. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't help when companies use them as a marketing tool. Mm. You know, they put their little branded T-shirt on them mm. and their brand is going to landfill. Mm. I mean, do you want that marketing attached to your toy? Mm. And I had this conversation with a car company that was mm. selling second-hand cars. Oh, but children love our toys. Children aren't buying your cars. Mm. <laughs> you know, your bears are going to landfill. How do you feel about that? Oh, well, they make people smile. And I go, what about branding a reusable coffee cup? You know, you're selling yeah. cars with coffee cup holders. Mm. Stick a cup in it. Yeah. You know? And then it would be seen all over the place that they keep producing many, many bears. Mm. And we were rescuing and relocating probably oh, would have been 10 to 20 of their toys a week from one car company. So it's a bit of a shocker. But I took their brand out into schools and we had conversations about it. Yeah, well there you go. And I just let children decide what they thought about the whole thing. I won't be able to buy a car from them, will I? Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not the company dartboard. <laughs> <laughs> So join a toy library, is that a good Oh yeah, join a toy library. Oh, big shout out to Anthea and Ashburton for the one she runs. Yeah. Um, toy libraries are fabulous. So I am a parent, my children are 22 and 19, and toy libraries were not part of my world before I became a parent, and I got involved in the committee. I think Callum was about 10 months old when we joined the toy library absolutely love it mm. and not just for toys but things like Callum had to do some eye tracking exercises mm. the toy library had toys that would help with that because mm. wow. otherwise we would have had to have spent several hundred dollars mm. so that was just fantastic love toy libraries love what they do just fabulous join a book library they're mm. great too and mm. um, we've got toll libraries mm. popping up around the place now so mm. like toll exchanges We've got people sharing things, which makes so much more sense. Yeah. Men's sheds, awesome, awesome, awesome groups of guys, and some girls, I now believe, mm. doing things like sharing those repairing skills, wood turning lathes, metalwork, engineering, just, I love hanging out at men's sheds. Yeah. And they love to see you, especially if you've got sausage rolls. Community gardens, mm. um, I'm part of the Kaiapoi Food Forest. There's just so many awesome things happening out mm. there. So find out what it is in your community and get involved. Yeah. Because we can't all have that phone factor I've got and captured classes of children to educate, but mm. we can get involved in some way. Hannah and I were having a conversation about bag sewing before, and I often hear, oh, but I can't sew. Well, those people who sew those bags drink coffee. They need someone to make the coffee and wash the dishes. Mm. They also need someone occasionally to turn up with muffins. People who can pick up and drop off fabric. People who can cut out fabrics mm. for them, make mm. tags, run their website, run mm. their Facebook page. So just think because you can't sew, you can't help them out. Ask mm. them. Because 
you don't actually have to be on a committee, you could be just doing quietly something. And given that there's only one third of New Zealanders volunteer, what are the other two thirds of you doing? <laughs> I have my role because somebody saw me doing volunteer work and then came and approached me and asked me if I wanted to be the waste educator. Mm. So you never know. It's good for your self-esteem, if nothing else. There are lots of people who may want to reduce their waste, may want to join a community group, may want to help out in some way, but they don't, for whatever reason. They may feel that they're too busy, that they don't know how, they're not sure where to start, or that there's no point. So how do you think that somebody like that who might be listening to this podcast, how can they overcome that? When I was selling dress-ups, I used to stand at preschool gates and think, I can't do this, it's too embarrassing. I can't go in and ask them for their money. And then I'd remind myself that poverty just might kill me but embarrassment won't, so get in there and do it. And that's often the biggest thing, is taking the deep breath and stepping out of your comfort zone and just doing it. So people often will take friends with them. So you yeah, grab a friend, you know, involve a friend, but find something you're passionate about. Not everybody wants to talk rubbish, but there will be something. There's a whole pile of things I've been asked to help out with, but they just don't push my buttons and get me excited. Mm. So I do say no. Also being prepared to step away from them if they become overwhelming, too much, etc. So just start with something very small and gosh, it could be going and taking some fruit from your tree to your next door neighbour. Mm. It's mm. simple as that. It could be when you walk the dog, do those knee exercises, bend down, pick up some rubbish and their poop, mm. please. <laughs> and then, you know, give people smiles. I think, oh gosh, I'm in Canterbury. At the moment, smiles are really, really important. Mm. We mm. need kindness from everybody, mm. to everybody. It's very hard to stay grumpy with somebody who is giving you a smile. Mm. And it's a crooked line that can make things straight. Mm. So share it. Another reason for the hat. People go, oh, I love the hat, and they beam away at you, and I go, it made you smile, it's done its job. Mm. Mm. means I'm working too. Have you got any rubbish questions? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not an overly confident person. I know that's hard to believe when you've just heard me blitter on for mm. goodness knows how long, but because I'm passionate about what I do, okay, so I can get in there and talk about it and get excited about it and share that excitement. It's a whole pile of things I can't get excited about yeah. that I generally won't open my mouth about. You find out what it is you're interested in or you want to learn more about or you're just not sure but you've been curious about. And gosh, it could be, you don't even have to go out and talk to people. You could be shelving books at the library, hmm. for goodness sake. You don't have to talk to anybody there. <laughs> um, <laughs> better if you don't. Yeah, I know. You could be volunteering your time at the local cat care because they've got kittens that need socialising. Now, kittens aren't going to judge you. They don't care what colour, religion, creed, etc. you are. They just want to cuddle. Mm -mm. You know? I think that would be a dream job, actually. A couch covered with cats. <laughs> Sound like a crazy cat lady. But just little stuff like that. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Nobody got born with a superhero cape and their undies on the outside. So you can't <laughs> save the planet on your own. <laughs> but if we all did a little bit. Yeah. And there are days I choose not to pick up rubbish because yeah. I just 
no, I need a day off. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? But I just know that the next day I'll pick up twice as much because that's just what I do. So, yes, sometimes, you know, self-help. You need to look after yourself because if you don't, you will fall over and you will get burnt out. I don't get grumpy at butt flickers anymore mm. who flick, flick the cigarette butts. I will just quietly walk up and pick it up and pop it on the rubbish bin. That was probably mm. only a metre away. Mm. And I don't have to say anything. Mm. I did say something at an AMP show last year. We had a chap who came and sat on the bench beside us and had a cigarette and dropped it on the ground and ground it in with a spot. And when he did it the third time, he kind of looked sideways at me. We were manning the waste station, so it was pretty obvious what we were. Yeah. And he kind of looked sideways at me and I said, oh, that's great, there's three in one spot. That'll be really easy for the school children when they do the clean-up tomorrow. <laughs> Don't need to say anything else, he picked them up. (laughs) (laughs) So a little bit sometimes guilt factor Mm. applied. Mm. With a smile and a crazy hat, helps. (laughs) Um, I don't harangue people anymore. Don't have a blue uniform that says rubbish please. I'm not above quietly dobbing people in. Mm. So this is about a community taking care. Mm. I don't advocate that you talk to rubbish dumpers. They're not nice people, they're not right in the head. But you can feel quietly proud if you take their number plate and hand it in. Right, mm. because if they know where that rubbish is, they will go through it looking for evidence. The more evidence they have, the more likely they are to be able to sting that person who dumped. And you pay for that and your rates, mm. that clean up. And I don't know about you, but I'd like my rates to go somewhere else. So this is the place we live and it takes all of us to take care of it. And you don't have to rampantly go and approach them and throttle them in the process mm. and scream in their face. Mm. Just quietly, you know, if somebody drops rubbish in front of me, I'll just go, excuse me, you've dropped something. <laughs> and sail on past and they're busy looking for their wallet or their cell phone (laughs) (laughs) and I know that I took a second out of their walk that was so important they couldn't walk to a rubbish bin Mm. I don't actually have to rant and rave at them because what will that achieve it'll just make me feel bad and they'll probably won't change they'll get aggro about it and so just a little tiny little we say they may not change they may not give up (coughs) at all about Mm. it but if it's not okay do something about it change it don't like it, don't wait for someone else. You mm. are that someone. Mm. Do something. It's the least we can do, really. Oh, yeah, mm. totally. <laughs> it's just it's not a lot to ask. I don't think it is a lot to ask. Yeah. Just make the world a better place. Mm. Little bits. Mm. Awesome. Well, thank you yeah. for all the work you do, Leslie, to yeah. make the world a better place. Shall we say thank you to the Waimakariri District Council and Ashburton District Council for funding me? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, well, and it is. It all comes back, doesn't it? If the councils are serious, they'll... Yeah, they'll put put the money... Put their money where their mouth is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Leslie. That's been brilliant. Yeah. Yeah.